This is the Commons LA Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the biblical teachings and sermons from our Sunday gatherings. For more information on how you can get connected at the Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Every year, we pick out an emphasis that we believe God's Spirit is uh, calling us to walk into for the year. Rather than vision, something that we want to do, we feel like God calls us to certain things that we need to emphasize, that we really need to grow into, that are normal for disciples of Jesus and churches. Uh, last year, it was, remind me again? Learning to pray. Yeah, learning to pray last year. Um, this year, we uh, made a slight tweak because although we have learned more how to pray, we still have a long ways to go. We still have more that we want to press into, hence the 24-7 prayer room that we're doing in January. We're at like 650 hours or something crazy like that now, consecutively. Yeah, we can applaud all of your learning to pray. That is huge. And there have been a few of you that have just gone above and beyond, whether in a pinch to get a little bit of sleep in a given night and pray a lot of time just to keep our chain going. Um, Thank you. Thank you for praying. But we also sensed that there was something else God was stirring among us in addition to prayer. And it was specifically about the direction that our church is walking and living and what we're here for. So 2024, our emphasis is, remind me again. Learning to pray on mission. Yeah, there we go. Learning to pray on mission. I apologize if it's insulting to your intelligence because so many of you are like, PhDs and everything in the room, and I'm throwing you back to undergrad days, maybe even like elementary school days, with repeating every time. But when we gather, this is what we want to be growing in as a people. Learning to pray this year, learning to pray on mission. We believe wholeheartedly that God invites us into his very life in the gospel. And prayer is how we engage with it most directly. But it's not about us primarily. It's about Him making us into kind of people who can go out there and serve His purposes of love toward the lost and the hurting and the broken and the wayward. So, we are going to be unpacking over the next few weeks something that is critical to understanding prayer and mission. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Chances are you've heard that phrase a lot if you've been around the church, but what it exactly means is so important to. Good morning. Uh, what it means is so important to forming and fueling why we pray and why we're on mission. All right? So, Mark 1, verses 14 through 15, be thinking about this question, because I'm going to ask you in a moment, what is, when you think about the gospel, what actually is the gospel? This is like discipleship, Jesus 101, the gospel, it means good news, and actually I need to ask you this before we read, um, just so that we can, uh, we can get some honest answers, all right? So, when you think about the word gospel, what do you think about? 
Okay? We're doing the no wrong answers thing. This is not like trying to ace a test. This is just getting a feel for in the room. There's a whole lot of different thoughts. What does gospel mean? Four spiritual laws. Yeah. So there's, there's a kind of methodology that comes to mind for some of us when we think gospel, right? Four spiritual laws. What else? Jesus. Salvation. Truth. Word of God. Grace. Repent. Billy Graham, what was that? That thing we have to read, yeah. There are books that are called the gospel according to Mark and Matthew and Luke and John. Ah, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes. You're a cheater. That is not the gospel. Good. Oh, okay. Everything that isn't the Old Testament. Interesting. So, the point is this. We swim in a culture in the church, especially in the West, that many of us probably grew up in, that uses language that's very spiritual. Grace, gospel, holy, faith, believe. Without actually knowing with precision what those things are speaking of. And if we live in the realm of vagueness, spiritually, we just float. But we really are just kind of blown about every which way. My hope is today that we can understand this thing called the gospel with greater precision. All right? So if there's one thing that you could take away, it would be this, being able to answer this question. What is the gospel? And then, as we'll see, some unpacking of what that means because it will fuel prayer and it will fuel mission for us. Sound good? All right, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Would you stand with me as we read God's word, just as uh, letting our bodies to lead our spirit into reverence, remembering that this is the word of God. Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Father in heaven, we pray and ask that by your Spirit, you would lead us and speak to us today, that you would open up our eyes to the splendor and the glory and the wonders of the good news. We need your help. We want to know not just information about you and about what you have done in Jesus, but we want to know you. We want to know how to live with you in your kingdom and what kind of person you are. And so, Spirit of God, come and speak to us. We pray you would tear down any obstacles between us and Jesus. We pray that you would bring healing and mending to the the pain, the sorrows that we might be carrying in here right now, that we would know you are our safe place. And I pray for anyone who might be resistant to your speaking and your leading today, uh, that you would reorient and awaken us to what this life is about. So Lord, we entrust ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you can grab your seats.
So we are diving into the gospel according to Mark, one of the four gospel accounts. Um, Mark writes a few verses about John, uh, John the baptizer. He was arrested, this man who was a forebearer. He went before Jesus, preparing the way, starting a renewal movement amongst the people and nation of Israel out in the wilderness. And right after that, we read in John 14, or Mark 1.14 rather, that John had been arrested. And then Jesus took it as his cue to go out into uh, the towns of Israel, specifically in Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. That word good news is the word gospel. Euangelion. It's the word that we're under, trying to understand this morning. And the whole gospel of Mark All 16 chapters, one commentator and theologian says that verses 14 and 15 play a crucial role in Mark's story as the reference point for all subsequent mentions of the proclamation initiated by Jesus and entrusted by him to his followers. These two verses unpack, are the seed for all of the proclamation that will happen throughout Mark's gospel. And they are crucial for us to understand how Jesus thought of the good news. For us to really understand that, we need to peel back a historical layer so that we can hear what he's saying with the ears of a first century Jew living in the Roman Empire. That is, we need to understand the good news of God Contrasted with the good news of Caesar. The gospel announcement of God's reign in Jesus was not primarily spiritual in the way that we think of spiritual today. It actually followed a familiar pattern that had been laid down in the Roman Empire of political announcement that would have been relayed throughout the empire of Rome by by people who would go and herald what had happened. I mean, you don't have... CNN, LA Times, social media, God forbid if that's where you get your news. Like, there was no mass media to, to share these things. And so four people would go throughout the Roman Empire um, and the ancient world and share what had happened. Okay? This is an inscription from 6 BC that reads this. Whereas the providence that ordains our whole life has been established. So providence... The Creator has established that which is most perfect in our life by bringing Augustus Caesar, who has filled, the divine is filled with virtue as a benefactor to all humanity, sending Augustus to us and those after us as a Savior who has put an end to war and brought order to all things. The birth of the God was the beginning of good tidings to the world through him. Caesar is the Savior who is sent from on high to be the one who brought peace and brings things to order. And this message was one of good tidings, euangelion, gospel. When you hear the word gospel, you probably assume it's some spiritual word that predominantly was created to to express something novel to the Bible or Christianity. But what God likes to do throughout history is invade the human world 
with his kingdom, with his presence and power in such a way as to subvert our assumptions and display his glory and grace. And so in their moment, Jesus comes out, and what does he say? It sounds a lot like what we read. The time is fulfilled. The moment has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the euangelion. All right? So just as messengers were sent throughout the whole Roman Empire to say, Caesar has come. We have a new Lord who's been sent from on high so that you can bow your knee to him. You can convert your allegiance to him and you can follow him and his rule. And it will be good for you. It it brings peace. I mean, what was the phrase throughout Rome about the peace that Caesar brought? Anyone know? A little history quiz? Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome thought to come and they conquered you, and then you had this glorious peace because you lived in their kingdom. Hopefully you're starting to hear some of the overtones. Something funny happening over there. I want to know. Um, the overtones of the gospel message in this message of the Lord Caesar. The reason this is really, really, really important is because many of us were raised in church traditions that took one slice of an implication of the good news and made it into the whole of the good news. Not that they were wrong things, but they were taken out of their proper place and made into the whole thing, and then it's produced some dysfunction among us. Okay? Let me give you an example. Um, <coughs> many of you have probably heard um, the gospel explained in this way. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through faith in Jesus, and it's something like who died for our sins. Okay? That is, that is good and glorious news. It's wondrous news that we fall short, and even in our falling short, even in our failing to be who God made us to be, we can be saved because Jesus died for us. We can be justified by His grace as a gift. Now, I do not want in the slightest to take anything away from the wonders of that good news. We live in a cultural moment and even in a place where we sort of just believe there is no immorality. We don't believe that we can live in any particular way that needs saving from, certainly that could be sinful. And so this is a message that we do need in our day. But when we make salvation from sins by Jesus' atoning death on the cross into the whole of the gospel, we miss out on some of the really important um, uh, ramifications of the gospel. Because if the message is, believe Jesus died for you so you can be saved with some understanding of eternal life when you die, then you need to believe and you need to kind of manage your sins until you get there to that moment of eternal life. Just make sure you don't screw up too badly. It's like the worst way of putting it. But what it 
does not do is create the kind of person who becomes a lifelong follower of Jesus who is seeking to become more like him so that we can be a conduit of him and his light out in the world. Because what Jesus is saying here in his proclamation, the kingdom of God has come. It's at hand. Repent and believe. He's not just inviting us into good news that can save us from peril. He's inviting us into a whole new way of being human with God in his kingdom. It's the difference. This is how it sometimes can manifest. If you believe that coming to Jesus gets you saved for when you die, you might become a Christian without becoming a lifelong disciple. You could say, well, I believe in Jesus and I can live however I want because Jesus forgave, forgives me anyway. Now, many people have a more sophisticated understanding than that, but that's a summary. If God's kingdom is here, if we are here to be a whole different kind of community, the church of the living God, where Jesus himself comes and walks among us, and breathes His Spirit into us, so that we can live by a whole different paradigm. That fear, and greed, and pride, and competitiveness, and turmoil, no longer rule us. As they rule the places that we're so familiar with, then that's a whole different kind of program that we need to get on board with. If that's true, we probably feel inadequate. I'm not ready. I don't feel like a fully equipped citizen of the kingdom of God. I don't feel like a, a mature Christ-like disciple. And here is my invitation. That is the perfect place for you to be this morning. If you feel inadequate at living in the kingdom of God, at being a representative of Jesus out in the world, at being one who thrives and lives by prayer, you are in the perfect place. The worst thing, I've been a part of communities where this has been the norm. The worst thing would be for all of us just to gather on Sundays to rehear the news that we're forgiven so that we can go on our way inviting God into some kind of life we've already chosen for ourselves. Then love gets choked out. Sacrifice isn't something that's on the table. Suffering becomes this thing that we've got to just avoid at all costs. We need to hear again that we're forgiven. And some of you need to hear right now that your shame in the kingdom of God is removed from you. That the purity of the Son of God, the spotless Lamb, is clothing you in the eyes of God. That you have full and free access to the purest of pure places in the cosmos. But you have that for a purpose. If we only remove the negative in need of forgiveness, we never get on with the program of discipleship. And this world around us needs discipleship. They need to see the alternative. They need to know they don't need to live in fear and greed as though money is the thing that buys them all the power and comfort and joy that they could possibly have. 
You need to know, they need to know, that the next grade that they get is not going to foil the plan of God for their life. You need to know that if you're single right now, your joy is not limited. The life and the fruitfulness and the legacy that you can leave is not limited because of the kingdom. And so, the kingdom of God is the highest in the clouds declaration of the gospel that we can have. Caesar no longer rules. Okay? God rules. He is reigning. This word kingdom in the original language is a noun, but it's a noun in the way that means like an active kind of word. It's like the reign of God. It's like the one who has the final say over all creation is God, and not whoever would tell you to fear them. And it's, it's not far away and distant. The reign of God is at hand, all right? That means it's accessible to everyday, normal, kind of fearful, insecure people like us. Jesus was coming to blue-collar fishermen in remote place in Jerusalem or in Israel. Okay, what's like a remote place in LA County? Think of it like a like what's not like the center of everything? Torrance, San Bernardino. San Bernardino is not even LA County. That's like going over to Samaria or like uh, Syria. <laughs> Palos Verdes. All right. All right, that's a desirable ex, uh, outskirt. <laughs> Jesus was going to the nowhere, to the nobodies, to say, hey, guess what? There is a new way. There is the fulfillment of all your hopes, all of your dreams, every desire that you have has now been brought near to you. This was something that every Israelite who was awaiting God's salvation was waiting to hear, and Jesus came proclaiming it. The presence of God is where human flourishing is found. You were made for the presence of God. I know it does not feel like it most of the time. It feels way more complicated than that. It feels like, yes, I need God and... But it's why the psalmists say things that baffle us. Like, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You are my portion. I have all that I need. Don't those things just sound too good to be true? They do. And it's certainly not a promise in the kingdom of God that every one of us gets everything that we want. James, another writer in the New Testament, writes a lot about when you aren't getting answers to prayer, here are some reasons that God might not be giving you what you want. It's always in love and it's always for your good. But at bottom, every need and desire that you have finds its fulfillment in Jesus. I, as a young college student, I was addicted to pornography, deeply depressed, lonely, hiding from everyone around me because I had like the good kid kind of veneer on me with a whole lot of skeletons in my closet. And I heard the good news that Jesus came for people like me so that people like me could know 
the love of God. People have this kind of exterior veneer that you're a very good person, you're a good student, you know, you're, you're, you don't do things that are like too, you know, crossing the line. But then you have all of this stuff in your personal life or all these thoughts in your interior world that cripple you because you know no one really knows me. And it swept me into this journey of learning that that deep desire that had addicted me to pornography was the deep desire for presence and intimacy. To be seen deeply and that person that is seen deeply to be loved profoundly. Every desire that you have, that the world calls and invites you into its enslaving power, finds its freedom and satisfaction in knowing and dwelling in the presence of God, which is in the kingdom. It's his place of living with him under his reign. All right? It's the reign of God and it has come near. One of my favorite authors uses the example, this would be like for, some, for a religious Israelite being told the kingdom of God has come near, has been brought, has been made at hand, you can grab it, would be like, you know, you live, you know, way out in Palos Verdes where they probably don't even have electricity yet. <laughs> so imagine being way out in Palos Verdes where they definitely don't have electricity yet. And then eventually LADWP builds out enough to get power all the way out to the water, up on those bluffs, dangerous, worst value property in L.A. County, and they install electricity. Suddenly, you don't need to kindle a fire <laughs> to stay warm, to keep, to keep all the wolves away, to cook your food. You have electricity. You don't need to go to bed when the sun sets. So. The good news of electricity being brought and made at hand, what does that do for you? What does it change for you? You can tap into the power. It changes the way you think about everything. Wait, I don't need to cook food in the slow old way anymore? I don't need to go to bed when the sun goes down? I don't need to... Keep myself warm by building a fight. Like, everything is changed now. Controlling an internal thermostat, all is changed. Electricity has been made at hand. So you see, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's not just saying God has done something really powerful that you should know about. Like, there's news going on in uh, another part of the world. You just need to be in the know. He's saying, something has been made attainable to you that was not attainable before. It changes everything. It's more profound than electricity. It's more prof profound than chat GPT. It is the power and presence of the living God. But, just like you don't conduct electricity by thinking about electricity, we need to learn how it works. Here's where so many of us go off because we believe that I've believed in Jesus. Now everything falls into place for me. All of God's promises I just experience is true. Let me, 
share something with you that I learned the hard way, and many of us have learned the hard way. God's presence takes practice. It does not come in an easy or obvious way. The world has conditioned us and framed us towards self-responsibility and actually told us, your life is your own, right? Under the guise of like, freedom, you do you, all these different things that are like, express yourself and then you'll be a fulfilled, flourishing human being. When in fact, God's presence has a particular path. There's a way to draw near to God. It's actually why we do things as we gather as God's people, like facing God and hearing the invitation of the call to worship and confessing our sins. These are not just dead tradition. These are ways of conditioning our heart and mind and hearing a community of people that is walking into God's particular presence. So, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, if you want more than just good news that gets you into, the, into eternal life when you die, you need to start taking hold of the grace that is available to you in the kingdom being at hand. We need to rethink everything. It's why Jesus in Luke says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, for those of us in this room who are all in with Jesus, our first and central priority as individuals and as a church community is to seek God in His kingdom. To seek His presence and power with all, every fiber of our being. I mean, that alone changes everything for us, right? Because then nothing is about us. And I know so much of the world tells you to buy their product because you're about you, but I think we're smart enough to see through some of the marketing. You be you, just give us some of your money, and then you'll be more you. Really? No. We discover who we were made to be when we learn the way to draw near to our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer in His presence. And so, I want to invite you today to a posture of humbling ourselves as Jesus' Jesus's word in relation to the good news of the kingdom of God is what? What does he say to do? Louder. Repent and believe. All right? Just like we need to rehear the word gospel, we need to rehear the imperatives of the gospel. We need to hear repent and believe, not as, so the church that I met Jesus in was really high on making you feel really awful. And I, I kind of caught this way of being a Christian that was like, the worse I feel about my failures, better I am before God. And it leads to some really ugly, dysfunctional pride that manifests kind of feeling terrible about yourself, but inside is really, really like arrogant, okay? That's not what these words mean. Repent, this Greek word, that's the same root where we get our word metamorphosis, okay? It means change. Change is so hard. Have you ever tried to change something really significant? 
for like the last five years, I've been trying to be more attentive. Okay? We have these things in our pockets. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they really make you distracted all the time. All the time. And the problem is not so much the device so much as it is the kind of person it makes you to become. Because as humans, we are habituated by what we do. And if you touch your phone a thousand or more times a day, as studies show, you will become an in inattentive person. So, for a long time, I tried all the little hacks to try and change, right? To see some internal or whole life metamorphosis to repent of the way that I was. And desperate times call for desperate measures, all right? This is now my phone. It sucks. <laughs> I'll be straight honest. Change is hard. There are a number of times I've been frustrated. I tried to return some packages to the Amazon store, and I don't have a QR code because my phone only has a little screen with no camera. And I said, can you print off my return slip? He said, oh, no, you're supposed to pull out your phone. I pulled out my phone. He said, oh. <laughs> Change is hard, and it's hard not just on you. It actually can even inconvenience the people around you that are used to the way that you were you, and now you're not the old you anymore, and they don't like the new you. But if we seek first the kingdom of God, we put the perspective of others, we put our own comfort and convenience and efficiency beneath the kingdom of God. You are no longer your own. The kingdom is at hand, transforming grace. The powerful presence of God is here. Take hold of it. What does it look like for you right now to take hold of it? What are those parts of you that you hate most about you? Those things that you don't want to do that you keep doing? I'll tell you what will not happen. You will not change if you keep it to yourself. And if you just try and change the structure of your life enough, that deep desire needs satisfying. It needs to know the presence of your loving King and Savior and Big Brother Jesus. You need community. If you don't have community, look on the back of uh, this Sunday liturgy that we have. You'll see our whole discipleship path. Okay? We have a path because change and growth does not happen by a bunch of ahas in teaching. You see on the outside, it's Sundays, it's how we gather as community. But then underneath that is another ring where we have missional communities. We have communities smaller than this room because there's no way we can belong to one another in this room. And so we gather every other week for a meal with a diverse body of believers who are united in Jesus to be family. Not just to say, oh, we're brothers and sisters, so we look favorably on each other and we try not to fight. We belong to each other. We are not our own. Your problems in my MC are my problems. Your suffering is my suffering. Your needs are my needs. Your debts are my debts. That's family, right? And so we belong together. 
And then beneath that, we need vulnerability and transformation because 20 people eating a meal, trying to live out the kingdom of God and follow Jesus, that's an awkward place for most of us to just be like, well, let me tell you about my addiction to pornography. Okay? I get it. So, groups of three to six, men or women, gathering together on a weekly basis to ask a few simple questions about how we're following Jesus, what our needs are, how we can grow together, and then we pray, we open up the scriptures to see how we can follow Jesus more wholeheartedly. And then deepest down is our personal communion with God, where we want to become the kind of people who are dependent on drawing near and sitting with Jesus each day. That our hearts that grow dull and just kind of jaded can be lit aflame again. The kingdom of God is at hand, but you must take hold of it. You will not learn it just by osmosis. Here is my great fear as our room fills up. My fear as our room fills up is that it becomes easy to chill and be immovable. Because you hear invitations as for a lot of other people and maybe you'll get around to it. But the kingdom of God is beautiful declaration of good news and then necessary invitation to repent, to put every structure and activity of your life beneath the kingdom of God, and then to believe, to walk out into some of the scary ways of living, like getting rid of a smartphone as your entirety of being, or Cutting back on coffee as the way of waking you up easily in the morning. Or um, being more intentional about waking up earlier than you need to to run out the door. Or committing to be a truth teller instead of a people pleaser. Or giving more generously with your money to kill the greed that grips you and makes you fear. Or limiting the way that you eat so that your heart can be full and stomach can be full with Jesus. We change and we walk out in trust that God's kingdom is actually here. And so please, if you, just one tangible step. We want to pray and the kingdom of God is primarily engaged with and interacted with through prayerful life. Not necessarily eyes closed on your knees, though that's a huge part of it, but a prayerfulness as you go about your day. And as you pray going about your day, you then have your eyes opened to see all the needs around you. To see the mission that is before you. To become a fully formed follower of Jesus that can speak humbly but convincingly. Jesus is alive and I know him. And the invitation is open for you too. And actually, let's open up to Mark 1, 14 and 15. And hear what Jesus, that's what we just opened to. This is you this week with someone in your workplace with a neighbor, with a family member, with a roommate, classmate. Because people don't know the good news of the kingdom of God. And all we are as a church is a people trying to live out the kingdom of God together to play by different rules than they play out there. So if you ever have need financially, we're going to help you. If you're a member of this church, if you belong here, you are not on your own. Stop being afraid. 
If you need someone to care for you, to sit down with you, to be a friend to you, don't go it alone. We belong to one another. Thanks for listening. We hope you found this week's episode encouraging and strengthening in your walk with Jesus. For more information on how you can get connected at The Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Also, we'd love to have you join us at one of our church gatherings on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Upside Down Cafe in Westwood Village. We hope you'll continue to enjoy these podcast episodes.